I'm thankful to be here. I really am. I had the privilege of meeting with your pastor, Pastor Steve Brandon, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he just raved about the things the Lord is doing in this congregation. So I'm just thankful here in his absence while he's doing a great work on the other part of the world to come here and just open the word with you. Uh, Before we do that, would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, it is with great joy that we come before you this morning. Father, we seek to meet the risen Christ through the preaching of your word this morning. We seek, Father, for the Holy Spirit to be active among us. For those who are in here this morning, Father, still in their rebellion and enemies of yours, Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to do a convicting and drawing work this morning bringing them to the foot of the cross where there's forgiveness for all sin. For those, Father, who are in Christ this morning, can embrace Christ in all of His glory. Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to do an edifying work, making us more like Christ, making us more fit instruments for reflecting Your glory. Father, do this work. Come down and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you can see from the, first of all, I have to give some disclaimers. I'm a wanderer when I preach, and there's not a lot of wandering space. So I'm going to be like a caged lion up here. Um, That's okay. You'll notice that the text we're preaching from this morning is Deuteronomy, an Old Testament passage part of the five books of Moses, the books of the law. And I want to give you three principles, even before we begin, whenever we look at a passage in the Old Testament that I like to kind of adhere to. Those three principles are, and be ready for this, because this is going to sound a little weird. won't be the last thing you hear that's weird. Cars, copter, and Christ. Cars, copter, and Christ. What do you mean by cars and copter would be a very appropriate question at this point. Let's say you wanted to leave here today and you wanted to travel to Chicago. How would your trip be different if you took that trip via automobile versus via helicopter? Be radically different. If you were in an automobile, you would be passing by, you would be noticing storefronts and restaurants. My girls were just utterly amazed by the number of gas stations in Rockford. There's another one, Dad. So you would notice all these things. The, the little details of each city would be very apparent to you. If you were to travel to Chicago via helicopter, it would look radically different. You'd be way above you'd be like, wow, look at how these interstate highways cloverleaf and wind into each other. There's a great sense of purpose here in designing these roadways. When we examine the Old Testament, we want to do the same thing. We want to jump into the story at that car level. And today we're going to do that with the nation of Israel. God's called, chosen nation. But we're not going to just settle for that view. We're also going to take the copter view, where we're going to step back and see where does this examination 
of Israel, what does it look like from the copter view in God's big plan? Because he's planning all things perfectly. There's nothing that happens that's outside of his control. Lastly is the last and greatest C, and that's Christ. We have to be cautious that we don't try to force Christ into every passage because that could be dangerous. But at the same time, we don't want to leave here having learned a message that uh, 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 Orthodox Jew would say, Amen, because we haven't connected it to Christ. So that's our goal. Car, copter, Christ. Two terms I want you to pay particular attention to. Number one is covenant. Covenant is a very important term in the Scriptures. And we're going to be examining Old Covenant, New Covenant. Very simple. And servant, slave. Covenant, servant. Okay. You are all here today for God. Darren mentioned, I was, I was born again when I was 34. I was not saved for me. Romans 8 has a verse that people love to quote, that all things work together for good for those who love God. And it's a great promise. But we mustn't stop there. We must continue on and read, for those who are the called according to his purpose. There's a reason in the copter view that you're all here and you're all in Christ. And that's glorious, that you get to participate in that. What we're going to do first is we're going to look at Deuteronomy 4 and figure out what is Israel's purpose. So I invite you, if you're not there, to open to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Old Testament passage. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm going to present this passage based on a very simple four-point outline. Number one, where are we at? Where are we at in the Scriptures here? This is very important that we understand where in the world are we in the Bible? Car view. Point number two is what is Israel's purpose in the Promised Land? Israel's purpose in going into the Promised Land was not for them, although there's a lot of benefits. You know, grapes the size of my head and all that good stuff that Caleb and and Joshua came back with. But ultimately, it's not for them. What was Israel's purpose in the promised land? Point three is going to be the glory of the new covenant. As contrasted with the old covenant. And then lastly, lastly, and this is where we're, we're trying to connect it to Christ, and we're trying to figure out what does this Old Testament passage mean for a bunch of New Testament believers? Because there's much to be learned from that. Okay? First off, before we even read the passage, where are we? Alright, so God calls Abraham, and through Abraham, He calls a chosen nation Israel. Israel, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, becomes 12 tribes. They're carried into slavery eventually in Egypt. God, through a miraculous deliverance, the Exodus delivers them through ten plagues. The last one being the Passover, which is a clear picture of the coming of Christ and His sacrificial death. 
They go to Mount Sinai where they receive the law and the stipulations, the rules of the old covenant they're supposed to live under, popularly known as the Ten Commandments. Between Mount Sinai and that promised land, trouble happens. There's rebellion in a place called Kadesh Barnea, where these Israelites fail to remember God's gracious faithfulness and love to them, and they grumble and they rebel. Because of that rebellion, everyone 20 years and older would perish before going into the promised land. They would march figurates around the desert until everybody 20 years and older during that rebellion would perish. It was also at Kadesh Barnea that Moses would, would perpetuate the indiscretion of misrepresenting God as angry with the, with the Israelite nation. He wouldn't be allowed to go into the Promised Land. So Kadesh Barnea, when we read that in Scripture, that's not a good place. Bad things happen there. That would be the bad neighborhood when you're at the car view, you're locking the doors. So now, finally, after all this, we stand on the east side of the Jordan River, and Israel is finally ready to go into this promised land. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, you don't have to do it now, just note it. If they would have gone straight from Sinai to where they were now, where we picked this passage up, it would have been an 11-day journey. An 11-day journey. And because of their rebellion, it was 40 years! That's an amazing fact. So here we stand at the brink of the Promised Land, and Moses begins to speak to Israel. What he wants to do, he's speaking now to all those people who did not go in to the rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, and before they go into the promised land, he says, okay, now hold on a second, before we go in, you need to remember this covenant. You need to remember this covenant. And he, Deuteronomy basically is a second giving of the law, a second giving of the covenants. So now what we're going to do is we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 4, the first eight verses. And then we're going to go through a little bit, a couple of verses at a time, and take a look at it and break it down at that car view. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, reads this way. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep them and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, were here, who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law that I am setting before you today? Verses 1-8 through of Deuteronomy speak of God's purpose for Israel in the promised land. And that purpose is to be God's servant. And in being God's servant and keeping the covenant, they're supposed to represent God. People are supposed to see Israel and say, Wow, Jehovah must be great. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to focus on first. This is, this is Moses issuing the call to that, the remaining Israel nation, the ones who did not participate in the rebellion. He says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may go in and live and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanded you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So here's the order. Very simple. Moses says, all right, Israelites, listen. Listen up here. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Do not add or subtract from them. Do them and live. A lot of people, if they're trying to sum up Deuteronomy in like four or five words, it's do this and live. Very simply. Here's a covenant God made with you. And again, a covenant is very simply an agreement between two parties. Keep the covenant and live. Sounds pretty easy. But as we read Scripture, it's not that easy. Then, in verses 3, 4, and 5, the Israelites are warned about that faithfulness to the covenant. Verse 3 says this, Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. Baal Peor is a pagan god of the land. If you want to read more about that particular rebellion, it's found in Numbers 25. And this rebellion where these Israelites, these covenant people, started worshiping a pagan god happened just a couple of weeks before Moses is about to bring them into the promised land. A bit of Numbers 25 says this, that the Israelites, the, well, the Canaanites and the Moabite women invited the people to sacrifice to their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to the Baal of Peor. And because of that, Jehovah killed 24,000 Israelites. That is the largest single death recorded in the wilderness. So this covenant is serious. Remember our two key terms. Covenant, servant. Look at verses 4 and 5. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. See, I have taught you the statutes and rules just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land that you are entering 
and possess it. So remember, earlier we said, uh, Deuteronomy, very simple, do this and live. Well, now we can add to that. Based on that, he says, listen to my statutes, do them and live. Verses 3, 4, 5 then say, remember those who didn't do them. How they perished. 24,000 a day or in a week. You who are here today are those who have held fast to the Lord. Keep doing that. And the reason why is because Israel had a purpose to fulfill in the promised land on the behalf of Jehovah. And that, promise, that, that purpose was to be his servant, to be his representatives, to be the one who showed who Jehovah was to a pagan land. And now the focus of our study is going to turn to verses 6 through 8 because... God gives Israel three purposes for them going into the promised land. So it's not just the land flowing with milk and honey. Those are benefits to keeping God's purposes in the promised land. Look at verse 6. So keep them and do them. So here he's referring to the rules and the statutes of the covenant of verse 5. Keep them and do them. For that is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all the statutes and say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. So Israel would go in and by keeping the law and keeping the covenant, they would appear to be a wise people. Can you imagine a Canaanite woman? coming up and saying, well, so to please my God, I don't have to throw my baby into a fire? By keeping the covenant, because in keeping covenant there's wisdom. One commentator put it this way, wisdom is defined by, by just kind of coming together and trying to live out the will of God. And a lot of people say, well, what in the world is the will of God? Well, it's pretty simple for the Israelites here. It's keeping the covenant. Do this. And you will look like a wise people among the pagan nation that you're going into. And in doing that, here's the purpose. It's, it's not just so Israel looks wise and understanding. It is so people see that, wise and understanding, and then they say, your God must be wise and understanding. And Jehovah gets all the glory. So purpose number one is for Israel to be a wise and understanding nation and therefore for Jehovah to look like the wise and understanding God that He is. We're going to skip verse 7 for a second because there's something that just is, just is such a curiosity to me. But look at verse 8. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as the whole law which I am setting before you today. God's righteous law, which was supposed to be shown by the covenant-keeping servant Israel, was to reflect the righteousness of the law giver. In the pagan Canaanite lands where I'm stronger than you, 
and I desire your herd of cattle, I'm just going to take them. And you can't do anything about it because I'm stronger than you. Too bad. The Israelites coming in and saying, we cannot steal. We cannot steal. We cannot bring reproach upon the name of Jehovah like that by stealing what is not ours. We trust in what God has given us. They would appear as a righteous people. And then Jehovah, the lawgiver, would appear righteous. Failure to project or bend out let me define bend out. Pastor Worley, the pastor at our church, loves to use the term bend out, meaning grace coming down from God to us. What happens to it? Is it bent out to all those around us? Because that's the purpose of it. And then when people experience the grace that is bent out from us, Our duty is to say, well, it's not of me, it's from Him. And failure to do that does not only not bring God glory, in Israel's case, it breaks the covenant and it brings reproach onto His name. Okay, so so far, two purposes reflect the wisdom and understanding of God's law and covenant and therefore the wisdom and understanding of Jehovah reflect the righteousness of God's law in covenant and therefore reflect the righteousness of the law giver, the perfectly just, holy God of Israel. And if you look at verse... If, you, if verse 7 wasn't even in there, verse 6 and 8 would just seem very natural, right, right next to each other. Just read straight through. It flows perfectly. And then verse 7... Verse 7 says this. Read this. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call upon Him? The the nearness of God is both the motivation of Israel We're going to be a wise people. We're going to be a righteous people because Jehovah is near to us. And it's also the reward of the Israelite people. The nearness of God is the fuel in the tank to do it. And it's the reward, it's the destination once you drive there. Why in the world would that be the reward? Why is the nearness of God the reward? Well, I've got two reasons for you. Number one is, He's God! He's immeasurably great! You know, you try to think of illustrations using just like our terms. Like, I, it, it falls short. But like, you think about you think about like a famous movie star, and I don't, I don't, I'm not really like a Hollywood guy, and, and that's a good thing. And, and, but you go to like a, you go to like a fundraiser, and the people that seem happiest, in a worldly sense, are those who are closest to the star. 
They're like, yeah, check this out. Yeah, he knows me. I know him. Yeah, we're buddies. A reward for that person is nearness. The reward of the Israelites is that they have a God who is near to them. If you look at a, a famous movie star, let's just carry this a little forward. If you look at a famous movie star and you look at, so I, we go to lunch today and we meet a lady and she's the president of the uh, John James fan club. That's a really bad example in a name, but that's okay. So she's got buttons on, she's got a hat on, she's got bumper stickers on her car, and she loves this John James. And she wins a drawing to spend a weekend with John James. She does. She gets to be there. Now, she can't stay at his house because the wife and the kids and all that stuff, but she gets to come to uh, media things and hang out like at the hotel pool with him. And as this lady gets closer to John James, she's like, ooh. Kind of has like a funny smell to him there. I mean, it's, oh, he didn't comb his hair this morning. He clearly didn't brush his teeth the closer she gets to this person that she's idolizing, the glow comes off. With Jehovah, it's the opposite. Do you like people who are kind? God is kindness. Do you love people who are, who are loving and patient and considerate? God is love. He is 100%. He is the attribute of things you love. So nearness to Him is the reward. So here's a recap. I like recaps. It's good to know where we're at. Israel's purpose in the promised land is to show the magnificence of God by keeping the covenant He made with them and showing His wisdom and righteousness with His nearness as both the motivation, the fuel in the tank, and the reward, the destination. Okay? That's the purpose of Israel going in and keeping the covenant in the promised land. And the head-sized grapes are good, but that's not the purpose. Here's the problem. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Why? Because of the human heart. Man is born into this world being born in Adam, which means we are born naturally hating God. Just how we are. I'm the children and family pastor at Grace Church. And when new believers come into the church and want to know about parenting their children, the first thing I have to teach them, because it's not taught to them in the world, is that your child, by nature, hates God and is rebellious towards God. The world teaches that your child is born with a, just a blank slate and you need to do everything you can not to mess that up. So if you need to be their friend, be their friend. When in reality, the Christian view 
And the problem why Israel could not keep the Old Covenant is because they're human beings who are naturally have a heart that hates God and rebels against Him. Now, Psalm 119 clearly says there were some people who loved God's law, albeit imperfectly. There were some people who would bring their old covenant sacrifices, bulls, lambs, and goats, not with this attitude. Yeah, here's, here's the lamb. Check it off the box. They would be like, my Lord has told me to do this, and I'm going to faithfully do this, and someday I know that he's going to make a way for my sin to be forgiven forever. That's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But the second problem is, so the first problem is their heart is wicked and fallen. The second problem is, is that they're in the Old Covenant. Don't turn there, but you could certainly note that Romans 5.20 says this. The law, so we're talking about the Mosaic law, the law given on Sinai, the, the, the rules and requirements of the Old Covenant. The law came so that transgression would increase. What? God gave the law so sin would increase? That doesn't make any sense. I always use this illustration. So I get done making this plate full of chocolate chip cookies. They smell great. And I put them on the counter and I've got to run to the hardware store to get something for the lawn. And I tell my daughters, you better not touch those cookies. When I'm gone, what's their focus the whole time? I want one of those cookies. Can I rearrange the stack so it doesn't look like I took one? How do I, how do, I do this? Same thing with the law. The law was given not to save anybody. It was to cause sin to increase to make you realize your wickedness before God and the need of a Savior. So let's stop. Let's stop. So, Israel, three purposes in the promised land. The bad news is they can't keep these, these promises because the law is making the sin increase. And that's because their heart is so wicked naturally and it hates God. Thankfully, Thankfully, thankfully. In Hebrew and in Greek, if you ever see repeated things, that is like very important. So if I say to my daughter, you need to clean your room, we're not going until you clean your room, they better go clean their room. That's important. Well, the same thing when I say thankfully, 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 God does not leave us with just the problem. He doesn't leave Israel with just the problem. The mercy and grace of Jehovah is this. God acts and God saves. Man does not have to, in his own wickedness, just figure out a way to come to his senses and change his heart just enough for I love God enough to save me. No. In Deuteronomy 10, God commands the Israelites 
to circumcise their hearts. The circumcision of male boys was the sign of being in the Old Covenant, but God says, circumcise your hearts! Stop being wicked! But later in Deuteronomy 30, he says this. This is Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And this is something to note. Underline this in your Scriptures if you underline. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says... The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So he tells the Israelites that someday he will act and he will provide the solution to the problem of Israel's wicked hearts. That is called the New Covenant. And here's our next recap. Again, I like recaps. Despite the fact that Israel will fail in keeping this covenant, God promises to make a better covenant with them. One in which He will circumcise the heart and bring people into a covenant that they will keep. Remember how I said at the beginning there's two pretty major terms that we're going to be talking about? One of them is covenant. The old covenant. Here's my law. Keep it and live. Bad news is you can't keep it because you're wicked and the law itself makes your wickedness just rise up. Good news is Jehovah will circumcise the heart. Have faith that it's coming. People ask me all the time, well, Kip, I don't understand. Like, like people in the Old Testament before Christ, how were they saved? They were saved by faith. No one is saved without faith. Now, are we before the cross or after the cross? We're after the cross. You guys didn't seem too sure of that. We are after the cross. So, what we get to do is have faith in what happened At the cross, on this cross, someone, no less than God in human flesh, allowed Himself to be crucified in between two sinners and allowed God's wrath, which should fall on me, to be poured out on Him. I have faith in that. And that saves me. If you're before the cross, even though you may not have understood all those particulars that I just talked about, you had faith in what Jehovah said. Someday He will take care of this. I need to faithfully, imperfectly, because I'm, I'm wicked, I need to faithfully obey Him and have faith that He will send Messiah to take care of this. The new covenant would be kept and secured by a new and better servant. Israel, remember our second big word, covenant, and servant. Israel, God's servant, failed. But God said, I am going to send a greater and better servant. On your notes, if you would like to eventually refer to Isaiah chapter 49 is a, 
probably the first six, seven verses of a very interesting passage because Isaiah starts talking about Israel being his servant. And then, partway through that verse, he starts talking about a coming servant that would gather Israel to him. So clearly at that point, he's not talking about the nation anymore. He's talking about a servant that according to that verse, this is Isaiah 49, 1-6, will gather Israel to him, and here's the great part, and be a light of the nation so that God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So in this new covenant, which would be instituted by the servants, it would include us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just let that sink in. God in His infinite mercy and grace and His love for us, despite our wickedness and rebellion, says, I'm going to make a covenant in which you Gentiles are part of. And to secure that covenant, it's going to be my own son coming. That's the most beautiful message you could possibly tell somebody. And you know what the craziness is? If you tell a lot of our world that message, they want to kill you. That's such an offensive message to some people. Also, those of us who in the New Covenant get to experience the fullness of God. Why? And this is the stumbling block for Jews today. That God is one God in three persons. So those of us here today who are in Christ because we have turned from our sin and have faith in the fact that all of our sin was paid for completely on the cross, we get to experience... God the Father being forgiven, excuse me, us being forgiven because of the work of God the Son, and we get all of that applied to us. We get to be regenerated, born again by the work of God the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God's right here. In the Old Covenant, God existed in a tabernacle and you had to go through a priest to even intercede for you in that tabernacle, now we have the Holy Spirit in us who prays and, and with groanings and utterings that we don't even know to the Son who is our High Priest and our Intercessor, who stands at the right hand of God the Father as our High Priest. That's what we get to experience in the New Covenant. That's why it's called a new and better covenant. In the new covenant age, we get, to ex- we get to participate in the better covenant and therefore the better near. God is not in a tabernacle anymore. We get to get- have God dwelling inside of us. We get to have God the Father as our Father. One of the things about Islam 
that grieves me among many things. They have no idea who Allah is. They don't know. They're going to try to keep the things contained in the Quran. But in the end, it's up to Allah, this unpredictable, moody God, to either accept them or reject them. The true God, for those of us who are in Christ, is our Father. Last part of my um, last part of my outline: Israel's purpose and our purpose. We looked at the three purposes of Israel going into the Promised Land. It was to promote the wisdom and understanding of God and make. Him look like a wise and understanding God. It was to show God's law as righteous, and therefore the lawgiver is righteous. And it was to show that they were the only nation who had a God so near to them. What about us? Has the purpose changed? Has the purpose changed? Or is just this just some... Is this just some story of a nation from the other half of the Bible that talks about before the cross? Or as God's people today, the church, are there purposes there for us? Purpose number one, the wisdom of God. We have the example of Christ who is called the wisdom of God. A reflection of Christ-likeness reflects that wisdom. And if anybody wants to come after the service and say, well, Kip, you know, he was talking about this really pagan land of Canaan, and I don't know about us in this land. Whoa. Whoa. This is an increasingly pagan land. There are things going on in our nation now and in our world now that is increasingly pagan. Now, that said, we cannot fall into this hole. Well, we need to go build a bunker in Montana and this is an awful time to be a Christian. It's a great time to be a Christian. We have the Gospel. Never in, the, in a time has there been societies laid waste at a catastrophic level by sin like us right now. And we have the answer. It's a great time to be a Christian. How about the righteousness? The righteous statutes in an environment of unrighteousness. What do the two greatest commandments look like in today's culture? How, do, how, how would Christians in Canaan look if we loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we loved others as ourselves? How would that look? How would that look? Do you know why the Christian church is so 
completely. I, I want to use the word. I want to use the word unsuccessful, but it will always be successful because of Christ. But why we don't have a greater witness in the world? It's because of those two things. We are willing to love the Lord our God and love others to a point until it costs us something. That's why our Christianity looks nothing like the New Testament. How great does the God who gave such commandments look if we, out of love for Christ, who has brought us near, follow these commandments? And lastly, what is our purpose in having a God so near to us? Do I do I pick this up every day looking to read it to check off a a box on my daily reading plan which isn't in and of itself a bad thing or do I pick this up knowing these are his words And what I desire from this is His nearness. Because He is immeasurably great. And there's nothing greater than His nearness. I want to pick these up. I want to pick these Scriptures up every day. And before I pick them up, I want to ask God, and I want to ask the Spirit to do such a work in me that God, by reading this, I want this to reestablish your supremacy in my soul today. Because I am going to go out into this world and I'm going to be facing a million things that want to compete for supremacy in my soul. The nearness of God. That curious little verse in verse number 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, it seems curious, but that's why I have that as the title of our message. That is our reward. The nearness of God in Christ. How does the nearness of God and the desire for nearness of God affect not only our Bible reading, but our parenting, our husbandry, our occupation, our being a student? How does knowing that we have a God so near to us change everything about us? and make that outside perishing world who are looking for hope in the worst possible avenues say, I want some of that. And then you say, well, that's where you got to go. The last thing I want to do, just to, just to cement this, because I don't... It's so easy to... Say, well, boy, old Kip made some leaps to apply that passage to Israel to us. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 for a second. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the last passage, and I'm going to pray, and 
We're going to beg for the Lord to knit these truths to our hearts so we can go out and rock a world desperately in need of Christ. Can we look at this passage? This is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Peter is talking predominantly to Gentiles here. Listen to this language. If you have, if you have cross-references in your Bible, he is doing some massive, massive pointing to the Old Testament here. Here's our purpose right here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through verse 12 says this, But you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may not, or they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Same thing. Same thing. If you're in Christ, you're part of the church. Church universal. Everyone in Christ. And we are, as he says, a chosen people. A royal and holy nation sent out into Canaan. I like to call this Disneyland. To proclaim the excellencies of the One who called you out of darkness. Because if He hadn't called you out of darkness and circumcised your heart, you'd still be in rebellion. And if you perished in that rebellion, you would pay for it eternally. And you're not in that because of Him. Because of Christ. Now, our goal is to make Christ look great everywhere we go. We need to beg for the mercy of God in helping us to do that. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father in heaven, we desire your nearness. The Holy Spirit, do this. Father, we, we know that the Lord Christ said, apart from Him, we could do nothing. And I pray, Father, for the glory of Christ, you would stir hearts in here to live a life that is so radically sacrificial in its love for you and its love for others that the gospel would just spread like wildfire in and through that. We desire for the name of Christ to be held high in all things. And I pray, Father, that You would draw us nearer to You so we can just see the riches that are found only in You and turn our backs on all of the little trinkets and toys 
and thieves of our time that take our focus off of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.